Hello, it's Darren Clarkson Podcast. Uh, podcast, yeah, uh, whitewater kayaking. Live on the banks of the river air now uh, in that very Yorkshire. Very sporadic, these podcasts, and if you're just listening now, please go back, like, maybe ten episodes or so, <laughs> something like that, to get a feel for the sort of inconsequential nature of my ramblings. There's no sort of order to these podcasts, and there's no sort of structure to them, and it's just me rattling on. So if you can live with my dulcet Yorkshire voice rattling on, then this is a podcast for you. What do we talk about on these podcasts? And I say we, I mean me. We'll talk about all sorts of stuff. You know, talk about paddling, talk about why boats are very expensive and they should be more expensive, or we talk about river etiquette. <coughs> Excuse me. We talk about drinking coffee and tea and all that other stuff that goes around whitewater kayaking. We sometimes talk about expeditions, and again, I say we, but I mean me. I talk about whitewater kayaking, talk about the Himalayas, talk about expeditions of the past that I've been on, talk about people that have influenced my journey. Now, all these things are really important. And as we get older, I think we sort of can look back on the way we've lived our life in adventure and see who's inspired us. I was recently sent a photograph by my old scoutmasters, Nigel and Karen Slater. And it's a photograph of me on the, car, on the river Calder. Uh, the canal loop on the Calder up near, <coughs> excuse me, up near Copley, near Halifax, where it's in the 80s, photograph in the 80s, early 80s. I'd have been a young teenager. Yeah. So, sorry, not early 80s, mid 80s, it would have been mid, mid late 80s. I would have been a, a young teenager. Uh, born in 75, so I would have been about. 12, maybe 13. There's, I mean, a plastic boat, really old, translucent, Ace Valletta, I think it is, with aluminium shafted autosport paddles and the wild water slab buoyancy and some Ace brain bucket Maggie helmet. But that photograph. I never even knew existed until it turned up. But that day I can still remember. I can remember that day. I remember where we parked. I remember paddling the canal. I remember the aggressive swan. And I remember taking off the canal with certain trepidation and getting on the river to complete the loop. The industrial north, the rapids, the weirs, which seemed like amazing waterfalls, with golden cascades and shimmering rocks. But I know that area up well, and none of that happens. You know, it's just not a thing. It's, this is the industrial north with shopping trolleys and bags for life. But I remember going over these weirs. I remember the adrenaline rush, even now. 
I remember we took out at the cricket club. Sorry, not the cricket club, the rugby club. Terrible sorry. We took out at the rugby club and made our ways back to the car. Years later, when I joined a, a canoe club, Penang Canoe Club, we had a slalom there. And I remember buying a cheese sandwich and biting into it, and it was cheese and ham. And as a vegetarian, being embarrassed and puking my guts up and being a general pain in the backside. But I remember that. I remember borrowing fiberglass slalom boats. And as the years have moved on, when I've driven past Copley, I've gone out and had a little walk. Because these were my formative years of paddling. And these are influential to the direction my life, you know, went off on. I could have easily been a lad that grew up in Batley and worked at Fox's Biscuits and had no aspirations to explore the world. But that day on the canal with the aggressive swan and the weirs that became waterfalls in my mind's eye, those are the days that matter. Those are the days that I can pinpoint where my life changed direction. And I've sat and meditated and thought about that day often. Days when I've been stuck in deep dark canyons and worried about navigating rapids. Or days when I've come off a big expedition and I've looked back at my formative years. These are important things. And I think we rush them. As we get older, I see adults getting into the sport, rushing these steps. You know, we have to build. It's like if you're building a house. You don't just bang it up dead quick, do you? You can do it brick by brick. If you're a skilled bricky, you know, you can bang a wall up dead quick. But most of us, if you've ever built a house, and I haven't, uh, would take our time over it, wouldn't we? You know, we'd make sure the foundations were deep enough and all that sort of stuff. And that's exactly what kayaking should be like. That's what adventure should be like. Now... I look at adventure. I look at people climbing Everest and K2. These are like seen by the media, by the world, as pinnacles of adventure. I mean, they are raping and pillaging the tourism and the ecostructure and people walking over dead bodies, and it's a shocking, shocking thing. Yet it still motivates thousands of people year upon year. And this podcast is not going to go into that, but I just find it interesting how we as a culture in the West, because I'm going to speak of the West, because, you know, in the UK, how we posit these adventures in the common consciousness as like pinnacles of adventure, yet that young boy having adventures on the cold in the industrial north. Without the foundation having the the time of his life putting those building blocks in place to make those foundations for later trips they're just as important if not more important than paddling the big rivers or those young kids climbing Snowden or doing connect or skidar whatever it may be these are the foundations to those big adventures but those foundations are enough they are enough. And I think I've learnt that as we've moved on over the years, that trips are enough. Every trip is enough. Sometimes we feel like we have to be validated against 
an expedition that we've done previously and we have to push with our boundaries hard or we have to like the bigger and the better thing but that's not always the case if rarely is the case but perhaps if you're building a profile then it seems that you need to do that but most expeditions I look back on that I've enjoyed and I've grown from and developed from have been the ones where I've had to scrimp and save and slept in ditches and worn the same set of clothes for a month they're not the ones that were big sponsored trips they're not the ones that had a team of researchers or any of that stuff they're the team they're the ones that i planned on the back of an envelope in fact 99.9 percent of my trips are planned on the backs of envelopes and i like that you know i like that purity But our sort of playground is also a sad thing. It brings a lot of joy. It brings a lot of joy to all of us. But it brings a sadness, I think. Because it brings a sadness for our friends and family when we go on big trips. Because if we're pushing it, then we can only push it for so long before we get hurt or we get, you know lost for want of a better word and I don't mean lost in the physical sense I mean lost in the emotional sense you know if you spend a lifetime chasing adrenaline or chasing adventure when you stop doing that when you stop having your foot on the gas all the time and you take it off and you drop it down a gear can you hold it together Life? can you hold life together because it's one thing living out of a dry bag, getting going from river to river and sleeping in sand and cooking on an open fire and living in your van, to getting older, to get into a place where you've got bills to pay, you've got tax to pay, where you really have to put a clean shirt on every now and then and brush your teeth. And it's not about cooking on that open fire anymore or sleeping when the sun goes down and waking when the sun comes up you know you get dictated by alarm clocks and other people's needs and wants and I'm not saying this is a bad thing but I do see people myself included getting lost because our drive for adventure and expeditions took a big part of our lives and still does and it's how we mitigate that because we do have to mitigate it, you know. We all, possibly, and I'm speaking from experience, have this internal sort of quest for betterment. You know, and we, we like quests. It's why, you know, we have the story archetype of the quest, isn't it? Because we all quite like a quest. We quite like searching and finding. You know, these, these are good things. But, you know, the quest of individual, aren't they? And the quest for me was one th- is one thing, and the quest for you, listeners, is a completely different thing. You know, sometimes we meet the wise old sage that shows us the way. You know, the Gandalf. You know, the Obi-Wan. The Hagrid, maybe. Sometimes we stumble alone 
you know, in the wilderness before we meet that wise older person. Maybe we never meet that wise older person, we just stumble along that falling into sarlacc pits and stuff. But the quest, we quite like the quest and the thrill of the quest. I'm just pausing a while. Because what I'm about to say now is quite painful. And I want to make sure that you as listeners take away from it what I want you to take away. Over the years, I've met many amazing people through kayaking. I still do. Amazing people every single time. People that push themselves, people that live outside of the norms of what's expected of them. People who go on the quest for betterment, whether that's publicly or more privately. But I've just seen a social media post about the Malabar Festival. Malabar Festival's in South India, it's an amazing kayaking festival. Supported really well with the local community in the jungle, amazing food, extreme slaloms, freestyle, downriver racing, tuk-tuk rides, exotic animals, and fanfares. Amazing, amazing. I've been involved in it for a number of years. I just watched a social media post. And on that post was photographs of past competitors and past organisers. You know, past people that volunteered their time to make this place special. To allow people a sort of internal quest. The competition's a quest, isn't it? Quest for betterment. And in those photos, three paddlers that are no longer with us, that have passed away over the last few years. And then I hear this weekend of a friend passed away on the Zarap, a river that was my playground in the Himalayas. Loved the Zarap, paddled it in groups, paddled it in pairs, paddled it in solo, paddled it in day. But when I heard the news that a friend of mine had passed away on that river, my world stopped for a minute. Because when we're on this quest, it is the thinnest of thin lines between success and failure. And I'm not saying people shouldn't go on these quests. And I'm not saying people shouldn't push. Because I do. But there's an inherent sadness to that pushing. As I've alluded to earlier. An inherent sadness. Over the years, I've lost many, many friends to the river. More friends than I can care to remember. I've been in the game a long, long time. So my network of paddling friends goes ever onwards. Which doesn't make it any the less painful when people pass away. 
And it's something we need to sort of talk about. Talk about that pain. You know, talk about that sadness. And it's all very well to say that our friends are no longer with us, but every time we surf a wave, we can see their smiles and the eddies next to us. And that's a beautiful, comforting thing. If it gives us joy to continue to do our sport, knowing that our friends, our colleagues, would laugh and smile with us as we dance around our aquatic highways, you know, the flutter in our stomach as we just about make the line that we knew we could make all along, but for some reason we're nervous that day. It gives us a certain level of comfort. Because I, for one, am not going to stop kayaking just because I've lost friends to the river. But each time I lose a friend, it takes a little piece of me away. Two friends I've lost over the last six months. Three friends in about eight months. I'm also getting to the stage where I'm losing friends not through accidents on the crag or on the river, but by age and disease. The world now, at my age, a few years shy of 50, is no longer that carefree world that I had in my teens, my 20s. You know, people are dying of things, and when they die, people go, they're a little young to die, but they're 50. They've got kids, they had careers. And yeah, 50 is young to die, 40 is young to die, any age is young to die, because we'd all give, you know, the chance to live another year. But I feel now that I'm sort of on this conveyor belt that's going near the edge of a cliff. And as long as I can stay on the thinnest of thin lines, that I can get to the end of the conveyor. And I'll think about those people who walk that thinnest of thin lines, who will smile in that eddy, who went on a quest. And that's okay. We should be okay with that. What I'm not okay with is the people on Everest and the people on K2 that walk over dead and dying climbers to satisfy their ego and their summit fever. I'm not okay with that. If they're okay with that, so be it, but I'm not. But I do understand that high altitude in the death zone Rescuing people that are dead and dying is a nigh on impossible task. It's a tricky one. Because it's okay not to be okay with it. But it's also, I'm okay with knowing why people do that. Anyway, I'm sort of a little bit sorry and sad for myself. But I shouldn't be, should I? Because the world is magical. Expeditions are magical. Rivers are magical. You know, I've been watching 
uh, paddlers on my local river, this industrial river in the north of the England. And I've been watching these young kids. A few months ago, they were panicking about flipping the boat over and swimming. But now, they're getting in the boats and they're surfing waves. Class 2 waves, class 3 waves, but they are zipping around on these waves. That's it, isn't it? Not only that, they're helping the friends. You know, they're showing the friends how to get on that wave. They're showing the friends how to edit turn. They're showing the friends that it's safe and fun. A little bit of risk, but massive amounts of teamwork. We should be proud of our sport for that. Because our sport gives more than it takes, I think. And it takes, and it takes, and it takes. But it gives back tenfold. Snap on your spray deck, launch into that river, smile on that wave, and I'll be smiling with you. Knock me on the shoulder and you see me in the eddy, and we can laugh about quests and thin lines and the fact that people with nothing better to do with their time listen to some northern bloke on a podcast. Thank you so much, everyone. Just a lot of food for thought. Right, you be safe. Ta-ra.